Please be seated. As Father Mark mentioned a minute ago, we sit when we listen and we learn. But more than listening and learnings, the sermons are a declaration. The homilies are a declaration. They're a declaration of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are meant to produce or enliven faith in us. If we are already Christian, then the process of conversion is ongoing, if you will. We're continually changed, as the Bible says, from glory into glory. And if you're exploring the Christian faith here among us this morning, then hopefully, prayerfully, the declaration of these words will draw you nearer to the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, that He is alive, that He is risen from the dead, and that He hopes and intends to have a relationship with us for eternity. Therefore, during the season of Easter, we're preaching a sermon series. We're calling it Living a Resurrected Life. You can see the topics on the screen behind me. And let me give us a quick recap of last Sunday. Last Sunday, we talked about the facts. The facts of human history that help us to find faith in Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, you remember, it was Easter Sunday, and we entered into the story, and there was a group of women, and they had gone to the tomb. They had carried with them spices because they expected to find Jesus' dead body there. They were going there to anoint his dead body. And when they arrived at the grave, they found the tomb that was rolled away, and they marveled at this. The angels told them that Jesus is not here, he's risen. So they ran back to tell the apostles, but the apostles didn't believe. They had to go see for themselves. So we saw how Peter got up out of his seat. He went to the tomb for himself. He went inside the tomb. He found it empty. And the Bible says he went home and he marveled at these things. Today, we're entering the story again. We're continuing the story. We're continuing the sermon series. Today, we're asking the question, is Jesus the God to believe in? And I want to take that from a very certain and specific point of view, because I want to go back into the story where we met the disciples in the text. You see, having gone to the tomb, you might think that they were running around in the streets, immediately declaring the good news that Jesus has risen. But that's not where we find them this morning. This morning, we actually find them in the evening. In the morning, you remember, the women and Peter had gone to the tomb to see for themselves that the body was not there. But now the Scriptures say it's the evening of that first day of the week. They're not in the streets. They're not running around. The Bible says they've locked themselves in a room. They're hiding in that room for fear of the Jews. Is Jesus the God we're supposed to believe in? They want to believe But they're not sure. They haven't seen enough, if you will, to convince them that Jesus is alive. And and you can imagine. You can imagine why they're locked in the room. Just three days ago, the religious leaders had conspired with the Roman government to have Jesus killed. He was crucified. And they were his followers. So they were hiding because they were afraid of those leaders And what might become of them for being found out as followers of Jesus Christ. But they've seen some things. And they're not sure what to do with them. Was their mind playing tricks on them? Had someone stolen the body? Where was Jesus? Where was his body? And that's where we find them this morning. They've locked themselves in the room. They're afraid of the Jews. You can hardly blame them because of the events of the last three days, and they're asking themselves now this question. Is Jesus still the one that we're supposed to believe in? 
And then suddenly you read the scriptures, you heard the scriptures this morning, there he is, he appears. He stands before them. Somehow, the scriptures don't say how, but we as Christians know how, he appeared in the room with them. Somehow, mystically, through the door, through the walls, or maybe he just appeared there in the room. You can imagine how astounded the disciples must have been. There's only one of three possibilities, right? You're you're either hallucinating because of the overwhelming grief that you feel. You, You want him to be alive. Secondly, you're seeing a ghost. Maybe this is some kind of spirit. We know the ancient world believed in spirits, and we as Christians still do today. Or there's a third possibility, that Jesus Christ is alive, that he has conquered the grave and he is now standing there physically before you. And so he begins to speak. He knows the turmoil that you feel, and so he says, peace be with you. And then he settles the score. He extends his hands to the disciples to remind them of his suffering. He shows them his side to remind them of his death. And yet there he stands now to show you that he is alive. He has conquered and defeated death. The Bible says, naturally, the disciples were glad when they saw this. That may be the understatement of the ages. They rejoiced. When they saw him, can we stand in their shoes for just a moment and and possibly imagine what that moment must have been like for them? My friends, that's not just a moment among moments in human history. This is the moment that forever changed human history, period, paragraph. How do we tell time? Before Christ. How do we tell time? In the year of our Lord. We literally changed the way we told time because of the life, death, and principally the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know the hymn. We sang it last Sunday. Christ is alive. Let Christians sing. His cross stands empty to the sky. Let streets and homes His praises sing. Love conquering death shall never die. Oh, that's what we sing in response to the risen Christ. This Jesus, He must be the God to believe in. Who else has ever gotten up out of the grave? I think I could just say that over and over again for the rest of the sermon to emphasize the point. What other so-called God in human history was crucified and then got up out of the grave three days later and showed Himself to people to demonstrate that He had conquered death? So it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that Thomas wasn't there. You remember what we heard just a minute ago. On the first day of the week, the eleven were there. Thomas was not there. And so, in view of what they had seen, they went out and they told Thomas, we have seen Christ. He's alive. He's risen. And Thomas says, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Tell me how that's any different than us. 
It's not. We want to see evidence for ourselves. And so eight days later, the Bible says, there they were again in a room, and Jesus appears to them, and he says the same words, peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, put your hand here and see the marks. Reach out your hand and touch, feel my side. Remember my suffering. Remember my crucifixion. And Thomas cries out those words that mark the ages, those five words, my Lord and my God. The response to seeing Jesus Christ risen from the dead. It's marvelous in our sight. And my friends, you know this. This is exactly what people in our world are looking for today. It's not like Thomas was hoping to achieve the title of Doubting Thomas for the next 2,000 years. He wanted to believe. He was just looking for that sure and certain evidence that would help him move from doubt to faith because Thomas is just like us. We all doubt. But somewhere in the midst of our doubt, we want to have faith. We want to believe. So what do we do? How do we help people in this world satisfy their doubts? I just want to speak to you from the heart for a few minutes. And, and remind you of my own story and how I went from doubt to faith and what a life of faith has looked like for me. This summer I'll be 49 years old, not 50. <laughs> Don't jump the gun. 49 years old. That means I will have spent nearly half, half, nearly half of my life now in Christian ministry. I've told you many times before how when I was a younger man, I thought I had it all together on the outside. If you looked at me on the outside, you would have said to yourself, there's a guy who looks like he's going somewhere. I wore the right clothes. I drove the right car. I had joined the right club, at least the one I wanted to join. And I was making the six-figure salary. As a 25-year-old young man, I was doing those things. I thought I had it all together on the outside, but my friends, I was dead on the inside. I was desperate for fellowship. I was looking for a community of authenticity, of, of love, of acceptance. And my friend lovingly and persistently invited me to his church, and one of the ways I got engaged in his church was through a softball game. That church played sports. Well, I like to play sports. It was easy. And I started going to church. And I started hearing the words just like this. And those words that were spoken started to change my life. And I saw a group of people who they looked like me. They, they sounded like me. But they had something I was missing and I knew it. They had just what Jesus said, peace be with you. They had found peace with God 
And they had found peace with one another, and so they loved to assemble together and exchange that peace with one another and share the love of God with one another. And I was hooked. I was hooked. I was so happy that I didn't have that internal turmoil in my life anymore. Just like Thomas, I had seen the Lord for myself, so to speak. How did I see him? I saw him through the Christians who were the church. And that's the way it works. What does Jesus also say? Thomas, do you believe because you've seen me? Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. My friends, how do we help them see? We are Christians. That means we're little Christs. That means you are little Christs, and you are little Christs, and you are little Christs, and you, and you, and you, and each one of us are like unto Christ for this world. And it's not that suddenly everything became perfect. I am still a sinner in need of a Savior. But I found a Savior who has saved me from my sin. And now every day, every day is like Easter. Every day. Not just every Sunday, every day. Every day, I, you, and everyone who bears the name Christian, little Christ, lives a resurrected life. Okay, I could end here with a great big amen. But I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you with one word, and that word is equipping. Equipping. Jesus was equipping Thomas and the other apostles to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Other Christians have equipped me to proclaim the gospel through planting this church other time over time, and God is equipping this church to take its stand here in the city of Fort Worth. My friends, will you dream big with me this morning? Dream big. We're talking about legacy building. We're talking about Christ the Redeemer becoming a city on a hill, and each one of us being salt and light to help that happen. Equipping, equipping. Paul says, God has given us to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, preachers, all for the building up of the body of Christ that we may attain the unity of faith. That means God is calling you to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and preachers to equip the body. And I believe, and I said this last week, and I'll repeat it again until it comes true, I believe God is specifically raising up evangelists here at Christ the Redeemer. People who will go into this world and specifically find those who are broken, who are hurting, who are lost, who are apart from the gospel, who are like I was, who maybe were like you have been at some point in your life, and share the good news that Christ is alive. What does that look like? It looks exactly like what Jesus did. That, that with Jesus, we might, we might bear our scars and our wounds before the people. That's what he did, isn't it? He showed them his hands. See my suffering. 
He showed them his side. See my death, my crucifixion. May we do the same thing, sharing with them our wounds, seeing the transparency of how we too have been crucified with Christ. In my humble opinion, there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing more beautiful, more inspiring, and more energizing than to hear someone say, I once was lost, and now I'm found. I once was blind, and now I see. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. My friends, as Mark said in the beginning of the service, it's so simple. If Jesus has done anything for you in your life, share that good news with someone who needs to hear it. That's what it means to be a people who live a resurrected life. It means to help others who are dying in their sins to learn what it means to find the joy of Jesus that they might get up out of their suffering and death and cry out with Thomas and the rest of us, my Lord and my God. They want to know from you that Jesus Christ is the God they can believe in. And that's what it means to live a resurrected life.